All right, welcome to the Teaching a Rockstar podcast. On today's episode, we have Ashley Agney, and she is, you'll, you'll, you'll know her on Instagram. She is Lipstick and Littles on Instagram, and she has so much amazing, cool stuff happening. And I love this interview. Well, I think what I love the most about it is, um, you know, we, we get to know a little bit more about Lipstick and Littles, but we get to know a lot more about Ashley. And, um, you know, when you kind of get inside of that Lipstick and Littles uh, veneer and in that Instagram thing, but what you find inside is just a beautiful person that is crazy passionate about making a difference in the lives of our kids. You know, uh, sometimes I'm, I'm even guilty too. Like I'll, I'll look at these awesome Instagram accounts and how beautiful they are. And, and I see these kind of Pinterest perfect classrooms and all this stuff and awesome fonts on shirts. And I'm thinking, you know, but are they teaching? And, but what I love to find out, it's just not superficial with her, man. It is, I'm um, just true inner heart, a passion for teaching and her kids. She's amazing. And has an amazing story. I can't wait for you to hear it. Here we go. Teaching a Rockstar Podcast with Ashley Agney on Instagram at Lipstick and Littles. Here we go. Let's do this. Like, here's what I want to know. Is when you started out this whole social media thing, did you ever imagine like you're going to be this... social media influencer teacher personality thing never 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 never. and i actually get asked this question a lot um a lot of times people ask me like what came first lipstick and littles or your teacher instagram and i was like lipstick and littles um i was never a person that thought that i needed um a social media account just for you know my my profession and then once i kind of like started creating with Lipstick and Littles, I was like, you know what, like I'm gonna put it out there on Instagram because at first I started on Facebook. And once I really started with Instagram, that's when things really started to grow. So. Things got crazy for you fast. Yeah, really fast. <laughs> what do you think it was? Like what, 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 like what was the tipping point where things, you yeah, know? Sure, it was like, I remember a point early on, and this sounds so crazy, but Amy Grosbeck, um, I had, reached out to her because I had created a shirt using some of her fonts. Um, and on a whim, I sent her a shirt and I was like, she's never going to wear it. She has over a hundred thousand followers. Amy Grosbeck doesn't know who I am. And she posted a picture wearing it. And, um, overnight I had 6,000 new followers. Um, and I feel like that was kind of the turning point. Um, and at that point I had everyone's attention and I just had to get them to start believing in me and, I don't know, just getting to know who I am as Ashley. So here's, you know, I mean, there's so much downside to the whole social media thing, but here's what I really love about it. Like if you give people great stuff that they can use in their life mm-hmm. and you know, like, like giving Amy a shirt is just kind of a metaphor for everything else. Like that's one small thing, but just putting out great content that inspires people and gives them ideas and fills them full of energy to make a difference in the lives of kids. Like if you do that enough, like things get pretty cool. Yeah. I agree. Um, that's something that I really like try to focus on is I try to keep negativity like off my newsfeed. So Facebook, Instagram, everywhere I'm looking, if I see a lot of negatives coming from someone, unfollow. Um, because if you really want to fill your headspace with positivity, you need to be seeing it everywhere. So I try not to associate with those that are negative um, because it totally rubs off on you. So I'm, I believe that who you surround yourself with is 
the kind of vibe and feed you're going to get off on others as well. Yeah, man, that's a cool thing because like as teachers, here's, you know, here's what I always say. And I've been wanting to make a video about this, but like the whole kind of main idea is in every other profession, there's this concept of where you can, you know, what you can do is you can you can surround yourself and create this circle of really positive people and eliminate the other people from your circle. But the difference in teaching is, man, you can't eliminate people from your circle because they stand before kids. And like, even those teachers that are really negative and they break, like, we can't, we, we can't push them away. We have to influence them in such a way that make them better people. The difference is like when you go on social media, you really can't eliminate people that bring you down. Right. And that's so true. And I, I feel as though like when you consider like who's in your building, you always have those people that you really like, I don't know if others are this way, but I always have a core group and I tell my admin this, like I, I pick like two or three that I really make it a point each year to try to influence them to try something more positive with their kids or try to say something, you know, that impacts your kids in a different way. Um, so I'm, I'm that person that in the lunchroom, if you're talking trash about your kids that day, I'm going to say, well, what did so-and-so do that was so incredible today? Like, um, because I, like, it's just like you said, you can control what you're seeing on social media, but you can't control those around you. But we do have the power as positive teachers to influence those around us as well. Yeah. So, you know what? I call it um, ninja mentoring. Cause like what I tell yes, teachers, it's like Jedi mind trick. It is. And so like, you know, I tell teachers like, you know, when I'm going to schools, I said, it's not like you're walking up to some negative teacher and say, Hey, I'm about to change your life this year. Like you keep <laughs> that on the down low, man. But what you do is you're really, you know, I, you know, I think it's what we're already doing, but making it intentional and making a point to go by their classroom, make, you know, start path, our paths crossing a hallway so you can make a little bit of difference because, you know, making a difference in that teacher's life that has that exponential effect of making a difference in the lives of her or his kids that she's accepted the honor of standing before. Yes. And I, I'm glad that you brought that up because a big thing too is um, not just like stopping by their classroom, but in terms of like teachers, when they start to get into that negative mindset, I think a lot of times it, it ultimately goes back to student behavior or not being able to make connections or relationships with students. Um, and I think as teachers, there's quite often we get in the habit of this is my classroom. I'm going to shut my door and I don't want you coming in and seeing what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, when I when if I'm having trouble with a difficult student, my first go to is who was their teacher last year? How can I find out what works for them? And I think that's important that, you know, we really collaborate with everyone in our building space, because what what's our ultimate goal here? It's all of the kids. And I'm truly one of those that we don't have kids just for a year. We have kids for you know a lifetime. So. Yes, I taught second grade, but a lot of my students are now sixth graders. And even though I'm not at the school, I was getting texts last night about, you know, something that happened in school that day that was really great with two of my kiddos. And just to be able, be able to, you know, reflect on that when, you know, I'm not even in the building. I'm not even in their direct everyday content. But, you know, it's just great. It's great being able to have that relationship that goes on with kids. You know, I always say, you know, the biggest fib that we tell um, our kids as teachers is that, you know, that first day in the beginning of the year, we are greeting them at the door and say, hey, I'll be your teacher this year. That's a big lie because what we really should be saying, hey, man, I'm, I'm about to be your teacher for the rest of our lives. Yes. Yes. That's huge. And, you know, the other thing is, um, 
You know, when we come together as a faculty and just listen to you talk about it, because this is this is the truth. And, it, you know, it really is if you're a teacher in the classroom all by yourself and you're just focused on the content like that's the grind. And the grind is called the grind because it will always grind you down and wear you out. But if you're if we're you know connected as a school family and talking constantly about why we're there and why we love our kids and what we really want for our kids, like that's the fuel. And you'll never wear out from that. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. It is so incredible when you really have a team that works together like a well-oiled machine because you always have those few that are kind of like, oh, I don't know about this content, but that's the joy of working with a team and being collaborative as a team because um, there's no you're better at content than I am or you're better with relationships. It's like teach me your ways. <laughs> like yeah. help us all be great and amazing in this profession because – if we focus too much on being better than other teachers, like where do, where does that get us? Like it doesn't get us anywhere. No. And you know what? Finally is we're, you know, we're, we're bringing into the, um, you know, the education space is what they've known in the corporate world for years where, you know, they, they always said, you know, put the customer service, you know, put the customer first. And that was kind of the, um, the, what they said, but that it's not really what they're doing. And like we say, put kids first and that, but what I have found in the most, um, the most effective schools is what they do is they put their, their school family first, like their teacher family together first. And once they focus on coming together, then collectively they can go have more of a synergistic impact on the lives of their kids. I agree. I think, um, when you take some collaborative opportunities to really just outside of the school setting and just really hone in on building those relationships with your teammates. Um, I think that's truly where the magic happens because it really depends on who your team is because you always have to think of all the outside factors. Um, I'm lucky enough that next year I'm going to be going back to the team I taught with for four years previously um, and it's kind of the core group of teachers that I started with teaching second grade. So me going back, it's going to be like full circle back to where I started. And I am so incredibly excited because we are, we're like the Ninja Turtles, like we got it and we're already <laughs> next year. What's it going to be like? It's going to be the best year ever. I'm so excited. Team Turtle. I love it. Hey, listen, let's go back. So you, um, at what, I'm curious at what point, um, cause it's different for every teacher. At what point did you know that, um, teaching was the thing? Like that's what you're going to do. Okay. So this is, this is interesting for me because I was not originally going to college to be a teacher. Um, I was actually pre-law for three semesters before I started taking education classes. Um, and I think a big part of it for me was I had the opportunity to work with Special Olympics one summer um, in college. And I realized, like, wow, like, th this is really cool. So I, I, I took an intro to education course, totally drank the Kool-Aid, and then I was all in. And that's when I had to tell my parents, like, hey, not going to be a lawyer. <laughs> right. I remember my dad was like, well, you could go into education law. And I was like, no, like, I want to teach kids. Um so yeah, I shifted mindsets then and it was great. I, I love, love, loved every minute of teaching. I remember getting ready for student teaching. I was dead set on, I was going to be a middle school science teacher. I wanted to be the next Miss Frizzle. And then I was placed in kindergarten for student teaching. I cried for three days straight because I was like, kindergartners don't do anything. Right. I know that would be like my most challenging year because kinder is like so pivotal in education. Um, but yeah, so I, I did my student teaching in kindergarten and then 
once I was done, um, I grew up in Michigan and I went to college in Michigan. And once I was done, I went through recruitment and I was being recruited from a few different school districts all over the U.S. And I just remember looking at everything on paper. I was like, well, you know, I'm going to choose probably Texas or Arizona. And that's when I was like, well, there's no humidity in Arizona. So let's just go to Arizona. And I had I had signed on for um, a middle school, eighth grade science position. And she, I remember the director of HR called me like three days after I signed my contract and she goes, Hey, we were looking at things. And, um, what do you think about second grade? And I was quiet for a little bit and I was like, well, okay, I can do second grade because I was thinking to myself, like you can handle kindergarten, you can handle anything. Um, and I got into the footings of second grade. I loved it. I taught second grade for three years. Um, and then I shifted over to special education and that's where I've been the past three years. Um, but like I said, next year I'm going back to second grade where it all began. Yeah. You know, I think you're right in those, in those early grades, that's such a pivotal point for kids because that's really when they start to connecting and associating emotions with school, like whether they love it or whether they hate it. And the, and the problem, man, that lasts four years and to get a kid in kindergarten or first or even second to walk through that door and you see them light up because they sit, that's going to last in third and fourth and fifth and sixth. Like that's where it all gets instilled into emotion and the psychology of that kid. I, yes, I couldn't agree more with you on that. I think it's so important that we develop those relationships early on and get kids as invested in school as we are, because I think that speaks true to like your vibe as a teacher as well, because if you're not excited about school, your kids can't get excited about school. So I try to be very conscious of that in the morning, especially if I'm tired, especially if you see me with my Starbucks, because I don't want kids to get that impression, well, oh, Miss A is real tired, like today's going to be an easy day. Like, no, I have to bring the energy and I have to bring it every day because I want my kids to bring that same energy to the classroom. So, Hey, did you have like, like when you were growing up and thinking back when you were in school, in elementary school, did, did you feel that you had, that, that, that those teachers at that time put the same importance on the relationship? relationship component as 100%, you do 100% I, I actually was thinking about this when I woke up this morning because I was like man what kind of questions is how gonna ask me this morning? <laughs> I was thinking back because I was like why did I become a teacher and I honestly I was thinking back to all the teachers I had because my teachers were like family I grew up in a really small town in Tennessee um, and they truly were like family and when I say that I mean like three of my teachers lived on my street growing up so um, it was like a full family involvement. Like my teachers weren't just involved, like from my seven to three school day, like they were coming to my T-ball games. Yeah. You know, I saw them at family events. It was real involvement. I remember very distinctly a time when I was in sixth grade and my dad was in the hospital. And I remember going to school that Monday and my teacher, Miss Mayoza, she said, well, how are you? And I was like, Oh, my dad will be fine. He'll be out tomorrow. Like, you know, it's good. And he goes, she's like, no, no, that's not what I asked. Ask, how are you? Like, I know about your dad. I talked to your mom. Like, I want to know how you are. And I think even looking back, like the fact that that sticks out from sixth grade, like that just goes to show like the impact that she had on me because I know that no matter what, like my school family was my school family. Like my teachers were there for me. I remember in fifth grade, Miss Anderson, um, you know, when I was gone 
for, I was really sick for, I had tonsillitis in fifth grade and, you know, she had scribbled her phone number in my book and gave it to me because she's like, call me if you need anything because I will teach you how to do this over the phone. So it's just little things like that, that, you know, I don't think like, I don't think about it now as like how important it was then. But looking back, I'm like, wow, that's so impactful. Like, I don't know if I'd be where I am right now and have the love I have for education without those foundation pieces all along the way. You know, now I'm curious when, cause I'm, so when, first of all, when you told me you're, I thought you said um, that, well I, well, I know you said you went to school in Michigan, but, I, but as you were saying, I was thinking this girl ain't from Michigan. So how did you yeah. get, how did you get I from Tennessee? Tennessee. <laughs> and so, um, what, what town? Um, I'm originally from Henry, Tennessee. All right. Where's I that? It's about an hour and a half north of Jackson, so about two hours north of Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in Tennessee. It's um, trying to think. Claim the fame. It's where like Hank Williams Jr. is from. Um, they're known for the world's biggest fish fry. Watch out! <laughs> like a super small town. Um, Did you graduate from high school there? No, I actually I lived there from the time I was born up until eighth grade, and then I moved to Michigan right before high school. My mom's family's from Michigan, mm-hmm. um, and it's a super small town too, but it's like a vacation town. So um, my parents had met there one summer, um, and that's how you know my parents met. Yeah, but um, so yeah, right before high school, we moved back to Michigan. It was just a better opportunity for our family. Um, and we had a home there already. So um, we moved to Michigan. So I did all of high school and college in Michigan. Yeah. So. Here's, I'm, I'm going to give you a generalization and this will make people mad, but it's true. But it, I'm not saying it's true for everybody, but like generally I found it to be true in all the hundreds and hundreds of schools I've been to. And that is when we have teachers that are from smaller communities and smaller towns, where those places where everybody knows each other and everybody went there. First of all, one generalization is, is there's a higher percentage of those students that become teachers. Mm-hmm. And my, the other broad uh, generalization is that um, oftentimes those teachers from smaller communities are way more, um, they're just more predisposed to build that deep relationship with kids than those teachers that came from inner cities and giant school districts where they're graduating a thousand kids in the senior class. I, I can agree with that. And I think a big part of it too is living here in Phoenix, it's different because we have very transient families. Um, whereas where I grew up, you never moved uh-huh. and you were there. And even if you did move down the street or the next neighborhood over, you were still going to the same school because the, the school district was for the entire county. Whereas here it's like every neighborhood has its own school. So you don't, see kids that start K-8 in the same school, which is really disfortunate, not just for the students, but for us as teachers, because we don't get that opportunity to really cultivate those deep relationships that, I mean, like personally, I would want to. Um, Yeah, we still have a high population of families that do stay, but just seeing the transient families come and go, it, it does it does make me sad knowing that they don't have that opportunity to develop those relationships that I once did. Yeah. You know, I had a, um, when I first started teaching, it was a tiny town. I'm talking like we graduated 10 or 12 kids a year. And, um, I I know. So, so like, um, yeah, man. So like it was, um, 
top 10% and the valedictorian was the same person. And, um, <laughs> right. And so it was interesting. So, you know, I went to giant high school in a suburb of, of Houston and I've never even been to a town like this. And so a few days in the, in, into school, uh, um, I was asking the principal and the superintendent at, at lunch one day. And I said, Hey man, I go, are we going to have open house at some point this year? And they're looking at me and they go, open house. I go, yeah. Like when parents come up yeah, and he goes, why would they come up? He goes, man, everybody went to this school. They all had the same teachers. <laughs> They're here all day anyway. Why don't you go to somebody's house if you want open house and meet people? You're the only one nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so funny, but the truth is, man, like that, like in those communities, like that is the town and it changes the everything because like if, first of all, like if your kid is the knucklehead in school, everybody knows you got the knucklehead kid, you know? <laughs> so it really kind of, you know, kind of, you know, that changes behavior without having to do anything. Well, and not just that, but it's just like your school becomes like the cornerstone of the community. Like, and that's what's incredible is because if you do have that ability and that influence, like your school can do amazing things. Yeah. And that's why, you know, seeing those schools in, in, you know, in the suburbs, you know, outside of major cities that really create that same kind of atmosphere for their teachers. And they just, they hold events to make themselves the cornerstone of that little neighborhood, that subdivision, that part of the community. It's so cool to see. Yeah. Um, our school here, we have, um, we're a kids at hope school. Are you familiar with kids at hope? Tell me about that. Um, so Kids at Hope is a program where they really focus on, um, well, I'm a kid at Hope. I'm talented, smart, and capable of success. Um, I can chase my dreams every day, no exceptions. Um, so it's really focusing on time traveling and connecting to all different areas of your life and really focusing on that student and really growing them to know that they are a kid at Hope. Um, and it really just like focuses on what's your future? What are your destination points? Like, what are your, you know, we have four destination points, your home and family, your community and service, like your career and aspirations, and then your family. And it's, it's amazing to really have that conversation with students. And it's something that we focus on every day. We start our day with, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance and we do the Kids at Hope Pledge. We have a Treasure Hunter Pledge for our teachers. Um, so it's just a lot of buy-in in our school. And it's a big part of our community because, like I said, with our schools, every neighborhood has a different school. Um, but as a community, like the city is a kids at hope, like city. So every school still has that foundation. So it's nice when kids move from school to school, nine times out of 10, they're going to a kids at hope school. So it's almost like a little bit of familiarity yeah. that they have in because it still has that foundational routine of like, okay, it's kids at hope. Like I know what this is. I'm still talented, smart, and capable of success. And it just really makes a difference with a lot of those kiddos to really visualize. Just picture little kindergartners discussing college and what their dreams are for the future. It's incredible. You know, um, here's, here's what's cool about that is um, in, in listening to you talk about it, it's fascinating for me to hear other people talk about that concept in other schools. And I go, yeah, it's okay. But and and the reason I say that is because they don't have that kind of buy-in. And so when people ask me, you know, what do you think about kids at home? What do you think about PBIS? What do you think about leader and me? What do you think? Well, well, you tell me about the leadership in that school and whether or not people are going to buy in. I'll tell you how good that program is going to be. And it really depends on like how does your school own it. Um, and we really have a big focus on kids at home for our school because it's so pivotal for so many of our students and. To see our eighth graders, every year we make destination boards at the beginning of the year and we keep them 
um, for each kiddo through eighth grade so that they have kind of a timeline. Like, look how your mind has shifted. Look how your values have shifted. Look how your goals have shifted. So to see like what their destination boards look like in eighth grade and, you know, where their dreams and aspirations have changed and where they've stayed the same, it just, it really puts so much into play and really makes kids realize like if you talk it and you talk it and you talk it and you say, this is what you want, you're going to achieve it because you can believe it every day, but it, it's believing and then achieving. So, you know, I was, um, when I, when I was teaching high school, we had a, I had a group of, it was called avid and, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but what it was is it was a lot of kids, um, for, uh, typically from a background where, um, not all of them, but lots of their families just really, um, didn't have a focus on education. There wasn't a lot of people graduating from high school. No one had been to college and we, it was kind of a, a social experiment, if you will, to shift that. And we would provide them with, so I like served as the parent. So I would put mm -hmm. these course, these kids in AP courses and upper level courses, and we, we would get them tutors, get them mentors, get them speakers. And... We would take them to, to college universities just like a kid that came from that kind of a family and that kind of a background. And one of the things I learned watching a college freshman take us on a tour at Texas A&M University, where we were with this kid and following this kid around for about two hours. And it was the way the kid talked about the college that was fascinating. And so, so what he would say, he would say, you know, he he would take us to the dorm room and he'd say, when you go to school, here's what your dorm room is going to look like. And I when you love wake, that, yeah. changing that language. It was so good. And, it was, and so when you wake up in the morning, here's where you're going to take your shower. And we take us down the hall. No, we go into the bathrooms. He, so you're going to go in here and you're going to need a little basket to carry all your toiletries. Then you're going to go, let's, let's go to breakfast. I'm going to show you how and when you're going to go to breakfast. And we, we like, he took us to breakfast and we, the way he spoke as if this is going to happen, it was that's so powerful, powerful for the kids. It was amazing. That's, that's real powerful. And I think that that's important. Every way we talk to kids, we need to shift that language to not if, but when. Yeah. And so it changed everything for me. And, and the only thing I didn't, um, you know, listen, man, I love college, but at the same time, that's, man, it's just not for it. To say that every kid is going to cut. First of all, not every kid wants to or should or even needs to. And there's so many trades and technical programs that are crazy amazing for kids. But I would do the same thing. When you go to HVAC school, when you get certified as a cosmetologist, when you, you know, and use that same language for whatever it was. Well, and just think if, if what you're saying, just picture this. We don't do that for trades. And could you imagine how many students would actually choose to do a trade um, if they realize the possibilities of if I do this, what could happen? Where could my life be? Because we're not spelling that out for kids. Yeah. We're just telling them if you go to college, this is the life you'll have or this is the profession you'll have. I think if we really did take time to focus on some of those trades and um, different avenues of education, I think that, you know, we'd have a higher population of students that were showing interest in that. Yeah, I believe it. And, you know, I have seen a couple of places that I do love. And just like they have college signing days, they have trade and technical and certification school days where kids say, and these kids are signed up and have been accepted and paid the down payment. And they're going to go to the welding program. And in a year, they're going to be out in the oil field here in Texas making 65 grand welding, which is what they love to do. Well, and who are we as educators to not to downplay their dreams and aspirations? Yeah. Like we make about college like we should be making a big deal about any life choice 
That's so, the thing, man. I don't care what they do, just so they love it. Just so they love it yeah. and it makes a difference and they're productive and it adds to society. I don't care. Go do your thing, man. I know. I actually just had a conversation like this with a coworker. Um, her daughter is graduating next week from high school and she's valedictorian of her class and she could do amazing, incredible things. And she's choosing to go to school to be an, an educator. She wants to be a history teacher and um, we were talking about it because she was offered an internship at a museum to be a curator and all these things. And she's like, you know, I just I would I don't know if I see her being a teacher because of the profession. I said, but think of this. She's choosing that profession because of the influence she's had from teachers throughout her life. And her mom's an educator as well. So that's why her mom's like, you know, I don't know if this is the life I want for her. And I'm like, no, think about it. Like she sees the impact she other teachers have had on her and she wants to give back in that same way. So I think it's important that we not downplay the dreams that kids have because dreams are big. Yeah, dreams are big. absolutely. And really what, you know, when I, when I was um, still in the classroom, what the, the daily conversation was always about like whatever you love to do, what that passion is. And the, the whole point of having that dream is to make a difference in the lives of other people. That's it. How you do that, you could be a welder, a teacher, an accountant, a lawyer, doctor. You know, you can, you know, air conditioning or whatever. It doesn't matter to me, but just so you want to make a difference in the lives of others and improve their lives. That's what it's all about. Oh, I, I got like chills. Just what you said. I just got chills. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's all about, you know. Hey, so when so you um, graduated from school in Michigan, and is it is it harder to get a job up there? Is 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 that oh, why you're looking? Incredibly, around? I I remember it was like before I even started student teaching, they started kind of prepping us in coursework. They're like, just so you know, do not. <laughs> plan to like be employed in Michigan. Um, I, I want to say, I mean, the statistics have probably changed since then. I graduated from college in 2013, but when I was preparing to start, you know, applying to school districts and whatnot, they told us that at that time we were, they were producing 400, over 400 teachers for every available teaching position. Oh my gosh. Um, so that's when I was like, okay, well, let's check out some Southern states, maybe the Southwest, right. places I have been. And um, I was being recruited from North and South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas. Um, I checked out California, Arizona. Um, and I had actually like committed to going and teaching a lesson in Houston. I was dead set on going to Houston because of the connections our university had there. And I don't know what it was. I just, re I remember when our um, director of HR, I was in line for another school and she came up to me and she was like, can I see your resume? <laughs> <laughs> She's stealing yeah. you from other schools. Yeah. I was like, here you go. And I don't know what it was. I just liked it. I liked the connection I had with that school district. And I kind of let it simmer for a little bit because they offered me a position right on the spot. And I let it simmer for a little bit. And I, I literally went home and made a chart of all my pros and cons because that's the type A person that I am. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go to Arizona. And that was the time I called my parents and I go, hey, so I think I'm going to move to Arizona. My mom cried and my dad was like, when do you want to go? So um, my parents are super, super supportive. Um, they knew that for me to find the success that I wanted to, especially with education, I couldn't stay in our small town. Um, there's, there's friends that I know that graduated from college that you know, five years after the fact, they're just now finding a teaching position in Michigan because it's just that limited, yeah. um, especially in northern Michigan. So 
um, they knew for me to do what I wanted to do, I needed to leave. And it was, it was hard for my mom because she didn't want me to leave home. But my dad was very, you need to go where you need to go. But my dad also grew up in the military. So they moved around a lot. My dad knew that, you know, there was more opportunity out there for me. So what's the deal with Michigan? Is it, is it a union state? Is that the deal where like everybody's in the yes, union? That's where teachers go to become dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I've noticed that just in like recent times, like going home and whatnot, it seems like a lot of teachers are retiring, but yeah, teachers stay where they are until they retire in Michigan. So there's just not a lot of room for those new fresh teachers right out of college. Um, and it, it's unfortunate because the school that I attended, I went to central Michigan university. Um, and it's an amazing education program. I want to say it's top 10 in the nation and they produce so many teachers, but there's just nowhere for them to go. They, so everybody goes out of state. I would say most of um, my friends from college when we were graduating, I would say almost all of us went out of state. I think one stayed and she had a position at, from student teaching. And it was one of those where it was a teacher on maternity leave. She was student teaching. The teacher decided not to come back. So she just kind of fell into a position that she loved. So. And so I'm curious, I've never even, um, I do know that in, in the school districts in which I was teaching, we have, that they had a, a, a whole bunch of a host of people that they would send around the country to these job fairs and trying to get kids to come down. Because like in Michigan, you were saying how there's like 400 applicants for one position. I, there's been in times in Texas where, you know, in the summer, there's been where we've had 400 positions for every applicant. You know, it's just really hard to fill that many spots. I think sometimes because um, it's not a union state, but also um, there's some crazy like rural towns like in which I taught where it's hard to get somebody to go down into one of those little towns where you're just isolated and miles away and you are the first, second and third grade teacher in that town. It's hard to find those people. Yeah. And I think that's a big reason that like um, school districts thrive on recruitment. Um, in the early years, I was a part of recruitment for my district. I did some teleconferencing um, with teachers, prospective teachers coming to our school district because there's so many questions. And I just, as someone that went through recruitment, um, it was incredible the amount of school districts that were in that building yeah. all on the same day. And they all were just trying to give you a job. Um, and I remember that morning waking up, I was so incredibly terrified. I was like, Dear Lord, please let me find a job today because I graduate in a week and I need to know what I'm doing with my life. And little did I know I would leave with, you know, seven active means of recruitment. And I was only there for maybe two hours. Right. So, you know, as someone that's graduating college, you think, oh, my gosh, great. Like my life's almost planned out. I've almost got all the pieces in play and I'm going to graduate. But you like my biggest thing that I always tell people is know what you're getting into because yeah, you can sign that letter of intent to go to a school district, but do your homework, do your homework because there was some recruiting from like the bushes of Alaska and right. the southernmost point of the U S. And I think that, you know, people don't realize what they're getting themselves into. Like you really have to do your homework. And I say that because yes, teaching is great, but you have to know that where you're going is what's right for you. Um, yeah. I personally, there's no way you would find me going to Alaska, like where there you can only get in by plane. I couldn't do that alone. I'm a person that needs a support system. I, I couldn't do that alone. So it's you and a moose up there, man. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Uh, here's what's interesting is when I remember when the whole recruiting thing, when we had, I mean, it, it seemed like it happened within a few, just a couple of years where, you know, there's all the teaching spots were filled and in just a few years we had unbelievable growth in districts and so many teachers retiring and they created all these open positions and they started sending these teams of, uh, of educators around the nation to job fairs from Texas. And the first group I, I saw go out from my district, it was very funny because what they did, they contacted, um, retired teachers. So they had these like retired teachers in their sixties and seventies and retired principals going out to talk to kids. And then they saw really quick, like that was not going to work because all the other schools were on board. What they had are like first, second and third year teachers out there to talk to kids. People, yeah, people just like them. Links so that you can talk to some teachers. I'm like, send them my way. And that's, what's true too, is like we recruited so heavily from Michigan and Missouri for our school district so when they're asking me to, you know, teleconference with teachers and kind of talk them through things, it's so much more personable because I know what they're experiencing. I came from the same area. So when they're asking questions about, you know, like, how do I do this? Where do I live? Like, those are all questions that we can answer. So just like you said, first, second and third year teachers, those are going to get your new teachers recruited. Yeah, for so. sure. Hey, so I want to talk real quick also about your um, your Instagram thing you have going on, because I see so many teachers that are looking um, you know, for a lot of teachers, it's not that they want to get out or replace their income, but they're looking for a way to stay in the business and to make a you know a little extra side uh, money and a little side hustle going on. And what and what you have created is um, what you're selling shirts, all kinds of stuff on there. Yeah, so we do shirts, um, tumblers, stickers. We're working on a few other things. Um, I'm just gonna say it because it's gonna be like. First, me really saying it, um, we're doing subscription boxes starting next month. Nice. Um, we have a few other products that we're working on. We're going to start doing some mentoring online um, here in the next six months. I'm really excited for all the projects that we have in place. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things where a lot of people just assumed, I think, that, oh, I'm doing this because I want to leave teaching. But that's completely the opposite. Like, I'm doing this so that I can teach. And um, when it actually came to that point, this, it was probably about November. Um, my boyfriend and I were kind of like, what are we going to do? Because I was super stressed out. I was yeah. like, we either have to hire someone or I'm quitting teaching and that's the last thing I want to do. So what are we going to do here? And he's like, no, like you were made to teach, you teach, you were made for this. Like, let me figure this out. And it, it honestly, it's worked so incredibly and it's been flawless because his career originally was in logistics. So it just kind of like yep. rolled together and he comes in and he's all, uh, you're doing things a little backwards. Like, let me show you how you should be doing this. So us two joining forces and him actually like joining on to lipstick and littles has been so incredible. Like seriously, I, it's been a blessing, but, and that's what I always tell people though, too, is no, like I, I'm in it to win it when it comes to teaching. I don't see myself leaving the classroom anytime soon. Um, and while I love what I do with lipstick and littles, like that's just another passion of mine. But first and foremost, like I'm here to teach. I'm not looking for a way out. Yeah. I love it. You know, the fact that um, you guys can have that you know conversation of self-awareness where like, all right, you d don't try to bring your teaching business to the logistics business. I'll do the logistics. And just like, he's not going to bring his logistic business to your teaching classroom. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you each have your own expertise areas. Yeah. And it, and it just, you know, it's it's crazy because Lipstick and Littles came to be about 
two and a half years ago. And Michael and I have been together for about the same amount of time. And he's just kind of let me do my thing the whole time because he knew it was this is my baby. This is my project. This is what I love to look like work on. And, you know, it's another passion of mine, but he knows how all in I am for teaching. So I think when he started to realize this year how stressed I was getting and I was getting quiet about things because I just could it was hard for me to picture how I was going to do both and how I was going to do both well, I, because I'm the kind of person like if something's affecting how I'm teaching or how I'm in the classroom, then that is a problem that needs fixed um, because I don't want outside factors to affect what I'm bringing in the classroom, because when I'm what I'm bringing into the classroom doesn't affect just me. It affects 32 other little humans. And that's not fair for me to do that to them. So um, when I realized that, you know, that was kind of something that I needed to address because I didn't want it to affect things. That's when he was, you know, he kind of said, well, let's figure this out. And this was in November. So we really took a few months to plan things. And then on January 1st, he officially left his career. So there you go, man. And so like on your products, are you guys, um, is that like a print on demand? Are you, are you, are you fulfilling it from the house? You got a warehouse in the garage or something, or you just like a, yeah. So we have, um, we do have a stock room here on our property, but we work with a local screen printer. He's amazing. Um, so I contacted him probably right at two years ago and I was like, Hey, I have this idea. I've been doing this myself. I'm getting burnt out. And he's like, mm, okay, you can come see me. But he, he wasn't feeling it right away. Like yeah. at all. He was like, what does this teacher want? Cause he actually um, only does, he does screen printing for all of the bands that are touring. So if you go to a concert and they have a tour stop in Phoenix, um, nine times out of 10, he did all of the band t-shirts for their tour um so typically he works with um music artists and um monster trucks all that kind of stuff like great i know he works with grave digger i remember seeing that when i was there last time grave digger and lipstick and littles and same thing yeah i know right <laughs> so, so when i went to his office um and he's like middle-aged super hipster-ish like he's lived a lot of life um he used to work for prince actually it's, he's got some pretty incredible stories um but i i was like so this is what i want and i had to like pitch myself to him to get him to like take me as a client because at the time he's like i'll listen to you but i can't i can't ensure that we could work together so um i kind of pitched myself to him told him what i wanted and he's like okay we're gonna do one trial run this is what we're gonna do and he only allowed me to do the minimums and I had to pay for everything up front. And it was like such an investment. Yeah. And I was like, Oh goodness, I hope this goes well because if not, he's never going to want to work with me again. And here we are two and a half years later. And you know, we were just talking about possibly taking a vacation together, his family and my family, because like we just, we've had that relationship now and he's absolutely phenomenal. Anything I come up with, he's like, let's do it. Let's make it happen. So I just love that he's as invested now as I am. And he thinks what we're doing is really cool. So, yeah, I love it too, man. And so I'm curious also about like some of the relationships you've built across the nation. Cause it seems to me like I, I know kind of um, on the gram where, you know, people message each other. Like, have you had people connect with you from other places about what you have going on and your kids and their kids and your classroom and what they're doing? Definitely. And that's what's amazing about Instagram. I feel like I have like my core group of friends here, you know, my in real life friends. And then I have my group of friends that I check in with almost daily, if not weekly. Um, and it's, it's amazing. Um, it's amazing the community that Instagram can bring. Um, 
And I wouldn't even say just like one person, like I'm a firm believer. And if you DM me, I'm going to answer you back. It might not be within 24 hours, but I slowly make my way through. And one thing I actually started doing was um, voice messaging people back um, typically because it just creates such a more personal vibe. Um, because I feel like you don't always get to know someone through the words that they type. So um, if someone asks me a question about, you know, something that's going on in my classroom or a question with their order, I'm, I'm getting in the habit where I try to respond with a voice message because I want them to know that, like, you're not just talking to Michael or a bot or someone else that's paid to answer my messages. Like, I want you to know you're talking to me. So, yeah. And it also, you know, it kind of fits that that style of response also kind of fits the personality of a teacher. Like, you know, it really is about that personal connection if we're going to deliver the content into that kid's noggin. But also, it's the same thing in business, you know, having that personal connection with customers as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do try to be conscious of other things. Like, I know I had two um, teachers reach out to me and they're like, hey, can you um, start using captions more, you know, like, we um, need accessibility. So I'm trying to be more conscious of that effort um, and really taking time to know who my audience is because I wouldn't want to use a voice message if, you know, it would offend someone. Yeah. So I really tried to make sure, like, um, I know who my audience is and keep those messages fresh. And I always – I have a really good memory. So if someone messages me, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what you ordered. I know what size you wear. I probably even know your address. So, right. Um, yeah, I, I really pride myself on knowing my customers and knowing that they are more than just a customer because um, it's true. Like you can't build a successful business and a successful platform if you're producing content that's not engageable. And I think with that, it's not just others engaging with you. It's how you engage with them um, because it's so important to, to know every teacher as a teacher and as a person and not just a number. You know, like, like that's the beauty of this new era of marketing and business where, you know, before it was, what do I have to say to get all these people to come to me and like attract them? But now what it's really about is just being you and raw and authentic. And there's enough people out there that are going to automatically connect because you're being honest with who you are. And that is going to bring in more business than you could ever imagine. I know some people, I feel like sometimes they're like, man, Ashley just told us too much, but that's exactly <laughs> like how I am. I'm like, if something's going on, I'm going to tell you exactly how it is because that's who I am and that's who how my life is. And a big thing that I really focused on earlier this year, I kind of had like an, I wouldn't say identity crisis, but I was kind of like, man, I want people to know me as Ashley and I want people to know who I am as a teacher, not just this business of being lipstick and littles um, yeah. because I feel like early on that's all anyone knew because I don't share a lot about my classroom because I'm a special education teacher. Um, there's just a fine line that I don't like to cross. So I, I don't share a lot um, right now. Will that change next year when I go to second grade? Probably. Um, but like I said, like for me to honor the privacy of my students and things like that, I don't share a lot about my classroom and teaching currently. Um, just because what I am teaching is so differentiated for my students to meet their needs. Um, so I kind of keep that private for right now. But I'm really excited to share more about the ins and outs of my classroom. Not because it's Pinterest worthy or perfect, but because I want people to see what real life is like. And, you know, if you look at me and think of me as... Um, you know, someone that does something well, just know that, you know, everyone has our flaws and this is 
what it is, face value in real life. So, you know, I had a guy tell me, I was, I, I follow this uh, guy and, on Instagram and he's got a zillion followers and uh, we were chatting one time and he told me in terms of making content, and this is like, this is exactly about teaching too. He said, you know, when you create content, the, the more takes, like, like if you're going to shoot a video, like the more takes, the less people are going to watch. And you'll find that when you do the one take thing, those are the ones people watch. And in addition to that, like the less polished it is and the less pretty and the less every less produced it is, the more they're going to watch. And you know, like the, it was that same week when I said, all right, let me just do this. I'm going to shoot this video and put it up. And I've been putting up videos for a while. And that was the one that got like 26 million views. And like, it was so... Like in the same week when he told me, he goes, man, don't even watch it. Just record it and post it. Don't ever watch that stuff because you'll never post it if you watch it first. Just post it. And it was so true. Like Because I think it is like people can connect with that raw, honest authenticity of who you really are. Definitely. It gets me in trouble sometimes, though, because sometimes I read what I wrote and I'm like, man, maybe I shouldn't have said it that way. Um, I had a post earlier this year and I... I posted all about advocating for my students and by no means did I mean for it to offend anyone or anything of that nature, but I did get in a little hot water. My principal wasn't too happy about what I said, but <laughs> once, once I met with her and kind of explained, you know, where I was going with it and why it was so relatable to other special education teachers, she was a little more open to it, but I did archive it right away when I knew she was upset because I wanted her to hear me out. I wanted her to know, um, you know, what my intentions were because I didn't have ill-willed intentions by any means. Um, but I think that goes true to what you said is, you know, um, creating content when you're, you know, trying to be raw and authentic. Sometimes we have to filter ourselves because in that moment I was so passionate about what I posted and it had like 4,000 likes like instantly um, because I knew so many people were identifying with what I was saying, especially about special education and you know, the, the means that we need to advocate for our students right now, especially with everything that's going on, not even just at a state level, but a national level. Um, it was just one of those things where, yeah, I wanted to post and I want to talk about advocating for my students, but I didn't do it in the right way. So right now I'm really taking time this summer to figure out how I can advocate on a larger level for students, um, but do it in a more appropriate way. Because I really feel like special education needs some advocacy right now. So, and you know what? Here's the thing: like anytime you're trying to push out good content that makes a difference in the lives of people, just like anything else in your life, you're you're, you're just going to miss the ball on occasion. Like you're gonna, you know, because it's all with good intention. But just like anything else, you're just going to make a mistake. Ah, didn't work. That 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 what that. I knew what that meant. Apparently, in my one sentence, I tried to communicate on a meme. <laughs> no one else got it, you know. So I think there's some. There has to be um, some compassion among people online. But you know, even for me. But and I, you know, at the same time, man, you got to remember if you've got thousands of followers, there's going to be crazy people in there. That's just how, kind of how the world works. And like, if you think, you know, I don't know if you got thirty or forty thousand followers, there's a handful of where people are just nuts, you know, and like for me last week, I posted something about um, the countdown. I can't remember what it said, but it was just remember like as you're counting down the days to summer in your classroom, there's kids in there that live in poverty and man, they're counting down the days to being hungry and being lonely and being exactly. And that's something and I, like I said, I try not to talk about, you know, my school in particular, but that's, that's something we're experiencing right now. Um, 
and, and they know. get and they get anxious and over and just posting that I got emails because like a, you know, a lot of times people don't um, call you out in public they have to send you a private message or an email and telling me how ridiculous I am because teaching is hard and they deserve to count down the days which like man go count down the days just don't do it in front of the kids yeah. I don't care like do it in the workroom keep yeah. it in your car put it on your phone Eighty days means 180 opportunities and we deserve to give them 180 opportunities. I wish we could give them 365 opportunities and give them an opportunity every day. Um, do I count down the days? Yes. I totally said to myself yesterday as I left nine more days until summer, but I still have those sweet babes who, you know, I know they're feeling that, those same anxious feelings like summer's coming. It's the weekend. Um, we have students that feel that every Friday afternoon um, yeah. because they have a week without us. So I think it, you hit the nail on the head with that because, you know, we're counting down the days, but our students are counting down the days until they don't have us that consistency in their lives. And that's so, so important. Um, you know, and I'm it, glad you brought that up. Here's the, yeah, of course I, I get in trouble, but here's the thing, you know, I try to help people under, like this is the way I would have the analogy in the mind of a teacher for a lot of kids, this is the first and only family they've ever had. Can you imagine if somebody was counting down the days for your personal family to break up where everybody's going to go the separate ways and you're not going to see each other? Like, how, like how would that, and you're counting, like, can you imagine the anxiousness and the stress that that would cause? It's, it's traumatic to think about, but that's what, yeah, what lots of our kids are feeling. Yeah, definitely. And you, and that's, what's hard is like, as teachers, you know, we can be excited for summer and we can be excited for things to come for our students because we know that they're moving on to another grade level. But that's really, really hard for some students. For some students, you're the first caring adult that they've come across in their life and they're not going to want to leave you. Yeah. Um, and, and it's hard. It's hard because those are the same students that you might not see their face in the building next year. Um, and, you know, you just hope and pray that they're doing well. Um, so it's hard. It's definitely hard. And you know what's really hard for is um – I think we tend to forget like those kids, like our biggest challenges, our, our hardest personalities, those kids that, you know, for had them found, found themselves in the most trouble all year long. Because one thing I think we forget is those challenges, though, that trouble, that creates a deep connection. When you experience, you know, challenges and trouble together, that creates an even deeper relationship. And for those kids that we think hated us the most and hated the class and we never get along and all that. It, those it's for those kids. Oftentimes it's the hardest, the hardest of all. Definitely. And those are always my favorite kids. Can I just say that? <laughs> because I was like, I was a naughty kid in school. Like I was not a good kid. I was always the one cutting up in class, finding a reason to be on someone's radar. So I've always, I feel like a lot of my teachers now they're like, Ashley grew up to be a teacher. Um, but yeah, I always connect with those kiddos that give teachers a hard time because that was me. And, um, I was doing it for other reasons just because I like to be a clown, but, um, these kiddos just, they have my whole heart because you know that they're experiencing a storm inside and you don't always have to know why. And I, uh, I always tell teachers that too, is I don't know. I don't want to know the specifics. I just want to love them. Yeah. And I just want them to know that they're loved and they're safe and they're ready to learn every day because, they can be experiencing the most traumatic events. And like I said, they don't have to talk about it. I don't have to know to love them. So. 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's kind of what I love about what you, what you have going on. You know, for so many teachers, they weren't the cut-up. They sat in the front row. They did what they were told. They raised their hand. They answered questions. They didn't make mistakes. And so when they get to teaching, oftentimes they don't really understand the reality of the kid that isn't all in on the front row. I'm pretty sure my third-grade teacher, Miss Littleton, I'm pretty sure she had my dad's number on speed dial because I think she called him <laughs> at least twice a week, at least twice a week. So... I'm telling you, I was a troublemaker. I was yeah. bad in school. I'm glad they have you, though. You know, hey, listen, um, thank you so much for getting up bright and early on a Saturday morning and spending time with me. And um, I just love what you have going on and all that you're doing for teachers and your kids and filling people full of inspiration and great ideas and beautiful aesthetic stuff on Instagram. It's awesome. Well, thank you. I was really excited to come on this morning. I was reading our list. I said reading, listening to a few of your previous podcasts, and you've got some incredible content going on. I love the stories of all these teachers that you're interviewing. Yeah. Hey, have an amazing weekend. Thank you so much. Yeah, you too. All right. Take care.